First Baptist Church, New Philly. I'm excited about being here. I've had a warm welcome, even though it's a very, very cold state uh, that you live in. And uh, I've seen more snow this morning than I've seen in Georgia in my whole life. And uh, it's amazing how calm you stay. Right now, if it was snowing like this in Georgia, we'd be in a fist fight over the ingredients for French toast. And we'd be headed to the grocery store. But you guys seem so calm here. And so as Pastor Jeff is in India, I'm going to do my very best in the next 30 minutes to bring as much of India as I can to you. Because that was the heart of this film. I wanted the people to see in India what I got to see when I first went there. Three years ago and three weeks ago, I went there for the very first time. And it was in my heart. I've been praying about the country of India, wanting uh, the help and partner with somebody that, that was working in the country. And a group of businessmen from the church and I went over to northern India and I wanted to see the Ganges River there that I'd read about. And uh, on one afternoon, on, uh, one evening, they're burning the bodies and they're putting the bodies in the Ganges River, Ganges River. And this ceremony is going on. And a young man, about age 12, I would guess, he took me by the hand. He spoke some English and he took me down to the river and he said, come and see. And he looked at the river and as I looked at him, I knew he was seeing something different than I saw. And he said, look and see. And he said, it's beautiful. And I thought... I was looking at this young man, I said, you've never seen beauty. You've never seen the gospel. You've never known the cross. You've never seen Jesus. And I said, I want to invite you to come and see. And so that began my prayer, and I um, started going to churches and asked people if they would consider changing their address for the sake of the gospel and asking God that he would raise up eight families that we would work together on a team called Come and See India. And over the last three years, God has provided five families that are changing their address for the gospel and moving to northern India, and I come here this morning asking for help. From one brother to another brother to another sister, I'm asking for help. At the end of the video, I get to share something that I learned from God's word while I was there, reminded of, and I'm gonna ask that all of you would consider making the decision to move to northern India. And those of you that you don't feel that God would have that for you, I'm asking all of you to figure out how you'll get involved and the pioneer. And I can't answer that question for you. I can't answer what it is exactly that you're supposed to do for the furtherance of the gospel in northern India, but I'm going to ask you starting the day that you'll pray and work and research until you find uh, what it is. So I've been excited about it. It's showing the day in six different ch um, churches, and uh, we're blown away what God's done. Never made a video before. The men that I went with had never made a documentary before. My wife and I lived in India in the month of August, and we recorded the story, and uh, the main character is somebody you'll recognize and love, and that's the person of Jesus Christ, and I really hope you see that in the story, that nothing significant is done in the story that isn't done by Jesus, and we went there to record where he had been and what he is doing, and I just want to remind you in here as I pray that none of you in here were any less in need of the gospel than the people you'll see in this story. There's some unbelievers in here, and you just think, how do they think like that? And it's just the heart and the mind of an unbeliever, which all of us had at some time until the glorious ruin where he came in and he changed our hearts and mind. And so I'm so thankful for that, and I'm thankful for your time. I'm in here, and I'm, you'll see some things about discipleship and the gospel and the cross that I want to talk to you afterwards. But I'm going to pray right now and ask that our Father, through the work of the Spirit, will do something in your heart that I wouldn't be able to do in 100 hours with you. And I pray that he's going to lay a, a burden on your heart for these people then give you the creativity and give you the will to follow through with it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity to be with my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I thank you for their testimony and what I've heard. Thank you for the influence that they're having here. 
and uh, across America and also through their missions endeavor with, um, around the world. And I just thank you that I know I'm with people that have your heart when it comes to mission. Uh, but Lord, I'm really praying that you'll raise up among these people a harvest and that they will evangelize, establish, equip, and they will export hundreds of their young people, hundreds of their sons and daughters around the world for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of God, and for the good of the nations. As such, you'll be with us now that the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts as we see what you're doing here in northern India. In your son's name we pray, amen. and I am a Christian. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole film, that I am a Christian. Why don't you say that with me? I am a Christian. Because something about it, when he says it, you just know that he sees the wonderful privilege it is to say you're a Christian when so few people are. But he also feels the responsibility that comes along with saying um, he is a Christian. And so Dos means servant in Hindi there. And I hope every one of you in here today would say that I am a servant in my name, and I am um, a Christian. People ask why I chose northern India to make this first documentary. Did you know that along the Ganges River in northern India, about 1,500 miles along the river, 400 million people live? Nearly one out of every 20 people in the world live life like you just saw here um, in this video. And it's hard uh, to even imagine in that India grows every two weeks by the size of Montana that every two weeks a million new people come into this world that are going to have a story similar to what we saw, but probably not like the lady that you heard and probably not like Doss, but like the other people there in the story. The numbers like that don't do much for me. I don't know if they do uh, for you, but when you know those numbers and you know the names of those people, it changes things. Standing at the back of the church, Doss and I in the gym in the movie, uh, we went to this uh, church, the Daily Bible Fellowship, and standing at the back of the auditorium, I met a guy called Michael, and Michael was telling me that how um, he went to Canada to go to college. Um, his family had some uh, wealth, and so he went over to Canada. He's in college. He's staying with a family, and the family, were they were Indian, but they were Christian, and they were going to church. He said, after a few months of not going to the Hindu temple, I decided I need to go somewhere and pray to my God. And they, they said, hey, can I come to church with you, and you worship Jesus, and I'll pray to my gods? And they're like, of course, come on, which is the appropriate answer if anybody ever asks you if they can come to church with you like that. And they said, come on, and you'll hear about Jesus. And so he, he came, and after a couple months, they said, why don't you help us with vacation Bible school this summer? You have a lot of talents, and we could use your help in being around. On the first day of vacation Bible school, Michael is there. He's in college, college-age kid, and a cartoon is up on the screen. It's a talking cucumber, Jeff. It says, and this talking cucumber that we know as the VeggieTales, Larry says, there is a God that loves us so much that he died for us. Michael got furious. He said, what are you talking about? He says, I'm from India. I know about all the gods. Nobody knows about more gods than I know about. And he went into this room with this little old lady in her mid-80s who was running vacation Bible school, and he said, there's never been a God that said that he loved us. There's never been a God that dies us, died for us. You cannot be telling kids that. 
She walked over to her desk, she pulls out a Bible, and she said, I would love to show you about the God that loved you so much that he would die for you. And week after week, he would come in, and she would take him through this holy book and show him about a God that loves us so much that he died for us, and he, he, he gave his life to Christ, and then now I'm standing there with him in India, and he says, I know I'm a Christian, uh, but he said, 18 years of my life I lived in India in the southern part, and he said, I never once heard the story of Jesus. He said, I went to your country, and your kids have it in cartoon. In that moment, I realized that access we have to the gospel. We have a talking cucumber that tells our kids the gospel, and they hadn't heard it in any form at all. It's un- unbelievable as I think about that um, and going on and knowing that there's a million people being born like that every couple weeks. So we know the problem is growing exponentially. Like every two weeks there's a million people. And so here at First Baptist, you know the answer is exponential as well, being that it must be discipleship. We have to multiply and we have to grow. And the altar today for this video and what I have to say from Galatians, you can follow along in your bulletin. I hope you'll make the discipleship area in your foyer your altar today. Because if the problem is going to grow like that exponentially, then the solution that God would give would also be exponential as well. It'd be people sharing their lives, one another, teaching just an average person that's concerned for his country. Somebody that is a mail carrier who's riding his bike from house to house. He said, Trent, during the day I deliver message from man to man, but at night I get to deliver God's word to man. And he just said it. He knows how to steward his life well he impacted my life just getting to know him. I don't know if you're in here. Any of you wearing a pair of Tom's shoes today? Not a person named Tom. You haven't stolen shoes. Anybody wearing Tom's in here today in this room? All right. Well, I bought my wife a pair of Tom's shoes uh, for her birthday earlier this year. Ugliest pair of shoes I've ever spent money on in the world. If you're not familiar with it, you buy a pair of shoes and somebody in another country gets a pair of shoes. I hope they get a better pair of shoes than the one I bought for my wife uh, because they're just not holding up very well. Um, the idea is nice, you know, you do something here, but one of the problems with Tom's shoes is that they try to tell you that with a small, convenient, fashionable sacrifice, you can make a big difference in another part of the world. And can I tell you that that's not the case? That when it comes to mission, getting gospel to, to northern Ohio or to northern India, a small, fashionable sacrifice isn't going to make a difference. For the missionary goer or for the person that's a sender, which is what I am, you, can't be, you, can't, you have to have a big buy-in if you're going to be a missionary. You have to give your life. And if you're in here and you call yourself a sender, is what I do, you can't buy in for $20. You can't buy in for $20,000. You have to get involved in the game. You must be a disciple maker. And so there's an issue I want to address with our time remaining here in discipleship. It's an issue in discipleship here and there that I believe that will alter the course of history. And the issue is always the dividing line, which is the cross. In discipleship there and here, the dividing line is always the cross. One of the greatest wonders of the world is when I saw, sitting at a table, I saw Doss, who grew up in this Hindu background like you saw in the film, sitting down with Jim, who was, he would come into his dad's church drunk and make a big scene. He went off, he didn't want anybody telling him what to do, so he went off to the Navy, and, and they told him what to do, and he came back, and he gave up, he had a college scholarship, played football, but he couldn't pass the drug test, and just crazy out of his mind looking for something in life. And one day, he's dating a girl, and she says, if you want to date me, you've got to come to church. He accepts Jesus as his Savior, Lord of his life, and he knows that the gospel can change his life.
Not long afterwards, his dad, pastoring a church about 500, comes up to the pulpit and says, I can't die here knowing what is going on in northern India. I'm going to go help my boy um, over in northern India. And just a wonderful story. But seeing Doss, who knows what the, the power of the gospel, and Jim knowing the power of the gospel, centered around the open Bible, the word of God, and how they got to get the message out to the world is one of the most amazing things. And First Baptist, do you understand that you can be part of that equation? You could place somebody in one of those seats. You know, you don't have Doss in this community, but you have Jim. You have drunken sailors in this community that you could win and raise and train up and be part of that story. And I can't think of anything better to give my life towards than seeing that. So here in Galatians chapter number 6, Paul confronts a group of people in a verse number 12. And it's an issue that he has... If he didn't address it, the missions in that church was just going to stop. It wasn't going to go forward uh, there in that time. So in Galatians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, lest only they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So if you're filling in your bulletin there this morning, these unashamed cowards, they were motivated by fear of opposition and a desire for fame. It says, and many desire to make a fair show in the flesh, and only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Could you imagine there that you would have somebody and you would sit them down and say, hey, I know you're about to make a big decision, but let me tell you, if you do that, then you're not gonna make a good showing in the flesh. There's no fame involved in that. If you make that decision, then there may be persecution because you're associated with the cross. This does not blow your mind that in a church setting among people, there was a group of people that thought it was okay to take a young person and put their arm around them and say, hey, don't make this decision. If you do, you won't have the things of this world. If you do, you may suffer persecution. I find it, un- I just find it astonishing to me. But can I tell you, that is where we find ourselves in Christianity and America today. Every time a young person has something in their heart they want to do for the King of Kings and for the Lord of Lords, there's always somebody that will come along beside them and say, calm down, young man. If God wants to convert the people in northern India, he'll do it without your help or without my help. Don't make a decision. I don't know what decision you're going to be challenged to make today from the film, what you said, but if your decision is not to be associated with the cross, if you want to distance yourself away from the cross because the cross brings persecution on your life, then you're making a bad decision. There are these Judaizers, they were trying to push and say, hey, let's say salvation is the cross and these externals, and Paul came in and said that can't be the case, but then they tried to bring it into the church, and they tried to have the cross plus all these other things, and Paul was constantly having to bring them back to the cross, and in my life and in your life, you constantly need to be brought back to the power of the cross. So an improper and a powerless view of the cross is what Paul is confronting, a powerless view of the cross. When Christianity comes about Jesus plus something, then it's no different than all the other religions of the world. The cross becomes a sideshow. The death on the cross is nice, but it's just an unnecessary gesture of love. As one person says, it's a burning building and we've all already got out of it. And then somebody like Pastor Rich runs up and says, to prove my love to you, I'm gonna run into this building. And you say, but none of us are in there. It's not necessary. But I'm gonna do it anyway because I love you. And he runs into you and runs into the, the building that's burning, but there's no need for it. That's how the cross is presented. That he shows his gesture of love, but we really didn't need it because we're pretty good on our own. 
without his help. And we're all in need. As I told you before, every one of you in here was in as much need of Jesus as the man who puts that white paint on him that's the, the, from the ashes of the dead people to say that he was dead. You were no more living than he was before you met Christ. So Paul's astonished to take another, and he, he admonishes them to take another look at this cross. The cross has changed how we would view the world. Verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. So there's two ways that the cross changes their view of the world. So ask yourself, is this how you view the world? Is this how the world views you? And if you say no, then I'm gonna give you the answer to that. Go look at the cross once again. Since I met Christ, the world has come to look like a despised, worthless, cursed thing. When a thing is crucified, it's rejected and scorned, and that's what's become of the world when Paul met Christ. It meant nothing to him. His affections were not for the things of the world. The world had been crucified before him. Philippians 3, 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. The knowledge of Christ is the greatest thing in this world. What motivates me to be involved in discipleship is not that there's disciples that may go to India, which is a wonderful thing, is that I want to know God better, and through teaching the word of God, I know him better with every question they ask me. Because I come to a text and I run out of questions because in my pride I think I know it all. But when I open the word of God with somebody, they ask questions about the text that I've never thought of. And as we dig through it, I see God better and better. And then I wait till the day that in heaven I get to behold him face to face. So not only does the cross change the way we view the world, but the cross has changed the way the world views us. When the world looks at me and it sees nothing very attractive, either I am like a, a corpse as far, far as the world is concerned. They just think I'm nothing. They think you're nothing in here. They think your priorities are out of whack. They think the way you spend Sunday morning is wasted. They think the way you invest your time and energy and coming on a Wednesday night or on a Thursday night or whatever you do, they think it's crazy and you've just lost all the life there is and you're a corpse. But we're in good company in 1 Corinthians 4.13. Paul being defamed, we entreat, we have made as the fifth filth of the world and our offscoring of all the things unto this day. The cross changes the way the world looks at you. But the Bible tells us that the cross makes a new creation that is settled and confident. Verse 15, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Because we're new creatures in Christ, you can go to northern India and give your life and make a difference. Because you're new creatures, you can disciple somebody in your community. Because you're a new creation, you can do all those things that he is placing in your heart. And the world needs to know that we are not good guys, but we are new guys. The world needs to know that we weren't bad guys, but we were dead guys. And they ought to know that we can now walk in peace, not fearing or desiring fame. Verse 16, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy upon the Israel of God. He, um, he is worthy to go there. I love him more was the kind of the hashtag, the missionary wife and the story on Facebook and all that as she was going there. And she's living according to this rule that the cross is most important, that leaving family behind and going over there to the great unknown, she always said, I love him more 
She lived according to this role of the cross, and because of that, she's able to live a life of peace and contentment. And this understanding should affect the way we walk. Paul's already confronted this before. He even got face to face. I love this in 2.14 there. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them, If thou, being a Jew, livest after men or Gentiles, not as the Jews, but while compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews. Peter, the apostle Peter, goes the, or Paul goes up to Peter and he says, The way you're walking makes the gospel confusing. What you're doing, the way you separated from those Gentiles when this group of Jewish people walked into the room, you're making the gospel confusing here to them. And can I tell you that we live in a world today that is confused about the message of the cross, and the reason is we have not been exalting the cross and saying it's most important. They say, hey, you're a bunch of really good guys over there, and you're like, yeah, you're right, we've worked really hard to be here. No, we were a bunch of bad guys that were dead that he has made alive in him through the cross I was standing there in, um, in, uh, in India, and I had an opportunity. This missionary got sick with the dengue fever, and he said, would you um, consider um, helping me out this afternoon? And I said, I would. And um, he, um, he said, um, I teach English. And I said, well, I'd love to go with you. And so I went there, and it was this, the, the most prestigious Buddhist college in the world there in Varanasi. And I said, well, who, I went into the room, and there was 20 Buddhist monks all shaved heads, orange roads, and they were all doctors of philosophy in there. They taught. So they weren't only students at the most prestigious college, it was the teachers. And this redneck from Kentucky was way out of his league. And one teaching English is not a good idea from Kentucky, nevertheless. And so I went in there, I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do today. I'm like, I got an idea. You ask me questions about Jesus, and I will answer them in, in English to you. And we talked about Christianity, but can I tell you, they never once brought up the cross. They said, I, you do this, and you guys do this, and you do that. And I said, well, what about the cross? They didn't know anything of the cross. They didn't understand that the cross is central to our story. Historians that hate Christians would say, these are a group of people that worship a man that died upon the cross. Even historians knew that the cross is central to us, but these Buddhist men never did. And they, they never understood that. And I got to share the cross with them and make much of that that day and, and take the name of Jesus there before them. People knew it in history. The Moravians, who were greatly involved in missions in times past, during that time, they made much of the cross. They would sing about the cross. Children were raised singing praises to the side wound, is what it was said about them, when they put the cross at everything they did. And so why did Paul and now us, we see this important? If the message of the cross is not necessary then it is not necessarily important that we carry it anywhere. If the message of the cross is not important enough to share everywhere around here, then there's no reason that I would ask you to take your young people and send them to the other side of the world. But the message of the cross is important. If I could get the picture of Doss here as I start to close, the picture of Doss and his friend as he's talking to um, his friend there. And you see, so I'm there with Doss and I walked through all this stuff before we recorded it. And so Doss tells me that his friend believes in all these different other gods, and he knew the story of the cross, but didn't know that, how that made Jesus the Lord of the universe. And so I pulled Doss aside, and I said, hey, do you understand about your friend? And Doss, with tears in his eyes, said, yeah, I know. My friend doesn't understand the gospel. He's not a believer. And then I'm in his house, and his, on one side there's a, a picture of Jesus. On the other side there's a picture of Sai Baba, one of the gods, and his stepmom worships Sai Baba. 
And I asked his dad, I said, you know, your wife worships another God, are you concerned? And he said, no, I'm not concerned. I believe in Jesus, and maybe she will someday. That's up to her. And so you've got a stepmom believes in Sababa. You have a dad that thinks it's okay to believe in Jesus or Sababa. And I go to Doss, and I said, hey, Doss, you know your, mom, your stepmom's not a believer. Yeah, and I said, well, Doss, do you understand that your dad doesn't seem to understand the gospel? Because if you don't know what the gospel isn't, then you don't know what the gospel is. And with tears in his eyes. Do you know that I knew in that very small movement that's going on there when it comes to New Delhi being reached with the gospel, that if Doss didn't recognize that the cross was central, that it was the dividing line, that only those that had put their faith in Jesus and saw themselves as sinners were on their way to heaven that were redeemed of the Lord, then missions was dead in New Delhi in that room with Doss. Are you with me on that? Do you understand how clear that is? Can I tell you here with all humility First Baptist New Philly, in this room, if you don't understand that the cross is the dividing line and that good people that have not put their faith and trust in Jesus aren't on their way to, on their way to heaven, then missions would be dead here in America as well. Many churches have marketed Christianity to this nation. They have bought it. They've used it to teach morals. We've taken away the cross. They've rebranded it, and now we're putting it on the shelf, and America is becoming a post-pseudo-Christian nation. We are now past pretending that we're Christian. We weren't Christian the generation before, but now they're saying we don't even care to pretend that we are. So I ask you, how do you know if you've bought into this way of thinking? Do you believe anyone you've ever known has died and went to hell? If you don't think that anybody you've ever known or will know will die and go to hell, then you bought into this way of thinking. Are you less concerned about your sweet, moral, unsaved aunt than you are about this Hindu priest? If so, you've bought into this way of thinking where the cross is not the dividing line. Do your conversations about Christianity center more around current events than the efficiency of the cross? If so, then you're not living by this rule, and the rule is that the cross is central to everything we do. We must be very careful in going from trying to protect our kids from the world to trying to protect them from the persecution the teaching of the cross brings on them. So can I ask you, in raising up people for northern India, which is what I'm asking for your help to do, that you would never be the kind of people that would pull a kid aside, a teenager aside, and say, hey, don't make that decision because persecution's gonna come upon your life because of the cross. Alexander Duff, missionaries, late 1800, he comes, but he keeps falling down and collapsing, and he gets up finally to the pulpit, and he gives an appeal. He says, when Scotland wants your young men, you send them. But when the king of heaven asks for your young men to go to India, there's nobody. And I will go to India, and I'll lay my life down on the Ganges to let them know that there's one man that cared enough for their souls that they were willing to go. And all across the room, young men begin to jump up and say, I will go, I will go. If Alexander Duff was to come here today, Would we allow an 85-year-old man to go back to India and die by himself? Or are you creating an army of people that would stand up and say, I will go, I will go, and I will give my life so that the people in northern India know that First Baptist Church in New Philly cares enough that they will give of their very best to go. So how should you respond here this morning? We should consider changing our address for the sake of the gospel. It just makes sense. If you're able and you can and it's in your heart, he's placed that desire upon you, you should change your address for the sake of the gospel. Number two, we should make sure the environment in our church would never be that of promoting safety and fame 
over obedience to Christ. So the first one is an individual decision that you'll make. That The second one here is a whole church-wide. From the very corner to the very corner to the very top, every one of you need to make a decision that you would not propagate a culture inside of your church that promotes safety and fame over obedience to Scripture and proclaiming His name around the world. We should ask God to show us how to steward our lives in a way that assists in getting the message of the cross around the world. Doss has a bicycle and he has a bike. And in doing so, he is changing a city. Can I ask you, what would Doss do with your resources? And can I commend you in the fact that I think he would probably live differently. If he had what you had and he knew what you knew, he would probably steward it differently. If you want to know how to handle your finances, finances Dave Ramsey is a great guy. If you want to know how to steward a life, look at a guy like Doss. He is giving his all for the sake of the gospel. Making a decision today is not influenced by, by make a decision today that's not influenced by a desire of fame or fear of being persecuted for the teaching of the cross. You may not see or feel the impact minimizing the cross has made in your life, but India feels it. You may not recognize it, but India feels the impact that minimizing the cross has done. So why did Doss have to Google Jesus? I mean, why does a guy have to Google Jesus when I learn about Jesus and VeggieTales and my kids have cartoons? Might it be that a generation of Christians in America have been telling their children, just because you young people are Christians doesn't mean you should do anything foolish like throw away your life for the sake of the gospel? I'm going to pray here, and this is my prayer for you from the bottom of my heart propelled by scripture here and from the text that young people in here or all stages in life in here consider changing your address for the sake of the gospel but if that is not it every member in here of this church ought to say I will never stand in the way of a young person that wants to get to the mission field and I will not only stand in the way I will be busy in this community finding leading people to Christ and discipling them does northern India know that New Philly cares about their souls over there and would you partner with me and let's get some people over there would you help me get the eight families it's an arbitrary number but we're at five and I'm asking God for three more can we get three more families over there the work on that is one of those families in here today or is there some people like that 85 year old lady that says you know what every person I run into I'm going to show them the God of the Bible that loves them so much that he died for it and we could have a harvest of people being exported to the ends of the earth and we could see his name proclaimed and the world could be reached in our generation. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this group of people, Lord. I thank you that this church would allow me the opportunity to share from your word and to take. Lord, I am praying that in this room there is somebody that would change their address for the sake of the gospel and will go through the right channels to get training here at the church. I pray that every member in here will say that we will live according to this rule where the cross is central to what we're doing. Lord, I pray for my buddy Doss right now as he is preaching Jesus among those people. I pray that you will strengthen him and that he will know that there's people that love and care for him over here. In your son's precious name we pray, amen.